Bibles, if you would, and turn to Psalms 133. One of the most important times or more important things to go on in your life and mine when we're put in a challenge is how we react to the challenge. And so I think it's important that the, the title of the message is Unite or Get Right. And uh, to me, that's a mandate from the Word of God. In Psalms 133, let me read it in the King James first. You know, some of you don't know what I am. I don't either. But I'm not a King James only. I know that. I went to school. I've studied. I got more sense than that. You ain't going to throw that on me, that the King James Version was what Paul and Silas used. And if you think that, you better go to school before you open your mouth in ignorance too because they didn't have the King James Version when Jesus was around. So be careful when you start. But now, I, I love King James. I love King Jimmy. And I like the new King James, and I like the new Living Translation. And, and so I kind of just stay there a little bit. So if you're King James only, you won't get but half mad. Because I'm going to read out the new Living Translation every once in a while too. And I'm going to do it both this morning. Look at Psalms 133. Three verses. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in, what's that word? Unity. It is like precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even as Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, and the dew of Hermon as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life evermore. Now, here in New Living Translation kind of gives a punch because it says how wonderful it is or how, how wonderful it is and how pleasant when brothers live together in harmony. It's very important that we learn how to live in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the fragrant, as the fragrant anointing oil that is poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is refreshing as the dew from the mountain of Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And the Lord has pronounced his blessing even life evermore. Well... I think it's important for you to understand that we have been called to a life of unity, not union. You say, what's a union? Well, a union is when you are bonded with someone who, whom you may not have a common bond. We're not necessarily called to uniformity, which means everyone's got to look alike, think alike, and talk alike. That's ridiculous. You, if you hold that me under that, you're going to have problems with me. And then unanimity, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, unanimity, which is everybody ought to always agree on everything. I'm telling you something. I've been a Baptist preacher for 34 years. Y'all don't agree on nothing. <laughs> and I don't think the Methodists or all them other denominations agree on nothing either. So I'm not calling for that. But what the Bible does call for is unity, which means a oneness of heart. It's a similarity of purpose and an agreement of truth. I believe Satan's strategy is to defeat the church, to divide and conquer it. The devil is no match for a united church, no matter how small or how big or how many buildings or how big or little the budget. 
But you see, Satan's method is deception. His mission is destruction. His, he wants to deceive us so that he can divide us and then destroy us. He doesn't do it necessarily on the masses. He will do it one member at a time. That's how he works. And so we need to understand that and come against that every bit we can. Satan cannot defeat a united church because there's no place where he can attack the body. If the planks and the walls and everything around us are united and, and uh, are, are uh, firmly founded on the Word of God, then you and I don't have to worry about Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter. What is the Greek word for Peter. Petros, and Peter, Petros, I don't speak Greek, but I know that one, and upon this rock, what rock is that? That rock is Petra, that's where we got the name for, for the foundation that, that I established, like Jack has the food ministry in the clinic. Well, we have Petra Foundation, Inc., and some people say, well, what's Petra? If you don't know who Petra is, you're lost. Hello. Why? Because Petra is the rock. Who is the rock? Of which, he goes on to say, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We got a promise that if we stay close in, in union and fellowship and we stay following Jesus, then we don't have to worry about the enemy come against us. Jesus will handle the enemy. And, and, and we don't have to worry about him coming against us. So I think that's cool. <clears throat> but churches who don't unite and don't get right get in trouble. I tell this illustration, and I've said it, and I'm not senile because I've used it before. And, and some of you say, why do you say that? Because I think sometimes you think I say things, and I've said it before, and I don't remember it. I do. Now, when I get I don't remember it, then worry. This old man was out fishing and doing what I love to do. And he was on a fishing boat, and the captain of the boat had, uh, was watching him, and he hung in to a good fish. Well, he's sitting here fighting this fish, and all of a sudden he trips, and overboard he goes. So all of a sudden he starts screaming and hollering, Captain, I can't swim, I can't swim. So captain doesn't lose his cool, he just reaches down, and he grabs his arm, and for some reason or another, the guy forgot to tell him he had an artificial arm, and when he pulled it, come off. He didn't lose his cool. He then grabbed his leg, give a good hard jerk, pull him in the boat. Guy didn't tell him he had an artificial wooden leg. Leg come off. So he still didn't lose his cool, reached down, grabbed by about the head of the hair, gave him a jerk, and guess what come off? His toupee. Finally, in frustration, the captain of that boat looked at that man and said, Mister, if you won't stick together, I can't help you. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you something. If a church in Jesus, in, in, in oneness of following him, won't stick together, even God can't help us. So it's an, it's an imperative that we learn that God wants us to stick together. And I think that's significant. You've heard it said that there's strength in numbers. 
I want you to know that's not true. There's only strength in numbers if those numbers are unified. You take one brick, for example, the best thing you can do with that, put it on your mantle or throw it through the window. I shouldn't have given your wives anything. But anyway, you take those same bricks and, and bring a bunch of bricks together and start putting them in, and you build a wall. You take one shingle, and all you've got is one shingle. You might be able to use it as a shim in a door or whatever. But if you take a bundle and many squares of shingle, you can produce a roof. If you take one little small link in a chain, you might be able to use it as paperweight or throw it at somebody. But that's not full potential. A link in a chain is only as strong as the length of the chain and how you can use that chain for whatever you need out of it. So understand, when it comes to that kind of thing for your life and mine, it's very important that you and I realize that the strength of the church is not in advertisement on television or newspaper or billboards or advertisement uh, or the web page or, by golly, even the Facebook. Y'all use that Facebook for some weird stuff I hear. And the only reason I say I hear it because I don't have one and I don't read your junk. But the strength of the gospel of Jesus Christ is when his, his believers are bound together in unity and oneness for him, following him, doing exactly what he's told you to do. And he will honor that and he will bless that. Amen? Amen. Well, guess what? Satan knows all that strong foundation stuff. He knows all about the rock. He knows all about the root system of the believers in John chapter 15. He knows about the, the, the root and the, and, and the vine that goes way down deep all the way into heaven. He knows how to interrupt what God's doing in your life, and he'll send his termites. Satan has his own beatitudes. It's beatitudes like this. Blessed are those who are too tired, too busy, too distracted to spend an hour once a week with their fellow Christians. Blessed are those Christians who wait to be asked and then when asked expect you to thank them. Blessed are the touchy with a bit of luck they may stop going to church. They're my missionaries, Satan says. Blessed are the troublemakers for they shall be called my children, Satan says. Blessed are the complainers. I will, I'm all ears to them. Blessed are they who are bored with the preacher's mannerisms and mistakes for they get nothing out of the sermon. Blessed are they who gossip, for they shall cause strife and division that please him. Blessed are, they, uh, are those who got, are, are easily offended, for they will soon get angry and quit. By the way, you know what? I have never been in through any type, type situation that, that Terry and I are having to face with one another. So if you got your feelings hurt because you didn't think you found out when you needed to, can I tell you what my belief in that? Grow up. Because the picture's a whole lot more important to you. Terry's fighting for his life. It ain't about you. Whew, I feel better after saying that. Blessed are they who do not give their offering to carry on God's work, for they're my helpers. Blessed is who who professes to love God but hates his brother and sister, for he shall be with him forever. And I love this one. Listen. Blessed are you when you read this, think it, that it's about other people, what I'm saying, and not yourself. And Satan says, I done got you. So we need to wake up to this fact and this truth that you and I are, we're one drop in a, in a 50-gallon drum bucket 
of the spiritual side of life. We're just one drop. There was an Ivy League school that heard about a, a dinosaur, and it was alive in the rainforest in South America. So he launched a scientific expedition to find out if the story was true or not. So several weeks, he stumbled upon a little man wearing a loincloth, and, and he was standing near a 300-foot-long dinosaur that was dead. The scientist couldn't believe his eyes, so he said, Did you kill that dinosaur? The rainforest native says, well, Sure, I did. The scientist said, But you're so, that dinosaur's so big and, and you're so little. How did you kill it? He said, I killed it with my club. <laughs> he looked at me and said, Man, how big is your club anyway? And that little man, he said, Oh, it's about 400 members. You see, sometimes you get to thinking, You're so big and you're so bad and you're so strong and you can just take on everybody all by yourself. Well, I got news for you. That ain't true. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do God's work because it's a whole lot bigger than you are, and your little peon plan may not pan out, but God's plan will. So remember, if we're going to stick with somebody, we better stick with him and stay in fellowship. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt <clears throat> that whatsoever any potential strife, bickering, or fussing that can be ended in any church if that church will make one key decision, that they follow their leaders. Anybody that tells you that you shouldn't, you're not under the pastoral leadership of that church is out of the will of God. Every church that's about, now some churches don't let their pastors be the leaders, and some, church, some pastors let them and they ain't leaders. All they want is a paycheck and go play golf four or five times a week and be happy. I got news for you. I have more passion than that. I'm more committed than that, and I ain't that good of a golf player anyway. <laughs> Listen, all I care about is seeing souls saved. All I care about is seeing people come to Jesus. All I care about is making sure that this church goes forward and not backwards. And, and, and I'm all about that. That's what wakes me up. That's where I go to bed. And my wife sometimes says, you know, I, I'm over here too. And, and, and she knows that. My greatest handicap is being a workaholic. I'm a mental and I'm a physical workaholic. And, I have, and, I, and boy, I have such a hard time balancing that. So y'all pray for me. Well, one great pastor said this. Usually the sign that focus has shifted to less important issues, things the Bible calls disputable matters. When we focus on personalities and preference, interpretations and styles and method, methods, division always happens. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't follow on the Word of God. I'm not, I, look, I'm a stickler for following the Word of God. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, in the New Living Translation, he says this, let there be real harmony so there won't be divisions in the church, and I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. How many of y'all know what a goose is? Raise your hand. A goose. Y'all know what Y'all can't hear? I'll speak louder. Y'all know what a goose is? Well, if you don't know what a goose is, just look up every once in a while because they're flying all over covered. We're covered up in ge geese and gooses. <laughs> they're everywhere. 
But every time I see a flock of geese and they're in flight, they always look the same way. And they always fly in the same formation. It's, you want to know why they do that? They got together at the last goose convention. <laughs> and they all agreed that when we take flight, we're going to form a V formation. And in the process of that, some people got curious about that and naturalists, and so they started studying. And they found out that when geese fly in a V formation, there is a draft. And they fly 71% freer and with less friction and with less uh, drag than if they try to fly by themselves. Now, a lot of people, you know, they get thinking, well, bless God, I can do all this better myself. So you just head out there and try to do it yourself. And you hit the full brunt of it all. Well, see, geese learn, they're smarter than that. Now, they do have somebody out front. He honking, and they're, they're following that honk, you know. But there's something they got together, and scientists have proven it. Have you ever seen a V formation that didn't have one long line longer than the other? Well, they got together, and they calculated, and they did scientific investigation, and they found out why. There's more birds in one side than there is the other. That was stupid investigation, wasn't it? Mm. Turn, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 18. While you're turning to Exodus 18, what you're going to find is Jethro made a visit to Moses. <laughs> Can I tell you what happened? Remember, Moses left the backside of the desert, right? He, he gave all these excuses why he couldn't serve God. Remember that? It to burn him. And so he sent Aaron. Remember that? And then they go and they do, well, where was Moses' wife and kids all that time? Now, if you've ever <clears throat> kept your grandkids over one day, you know as a grandparent, what I was talking about. Well, see, Moses had left his wife and two boys with Jethro. Jethro. And that wasn't Jethro Bodine on the Clampets, okay? Jethro was his father-in-law. And so, finally, Jethro said, bless God, I got I to gotta have some peace. I love my grandkids, but they're driving me crazy. So, he makes a trip. And he finds Moses. And man, Moses and verses, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 to 12, they're just having this great time together. They're talking about how God just took care of Moses and Aaron and all the people at the Red Sea and the Pharaoh and how he fed them in the desert. And Oh, they're just having, look, God is in it. God's taking care of us. By the way, you ever get to question about What's going on in your life? Always go back and look at the things God's done in your life and let it encourage. But then it says, that was the first day they got together. Then it says on verse 13, the next day. Moses, this is chapter 18. Moses sat as usual to hear the people's complaints. <laughs> why, why do we always have to hear complaints? Don't y'all ever have any good stuff going on in your life? 
Anyway, and, and he heard the complaints, it says, against each other. And they were lined up in front of Moses from morning until night. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing, he made a comment. He says, Moses, what are you doing? Why are you trying to do this all by yourself? The people have been standing here all day to get your help. First of all, he said, what you're doing is not right. Even though you're, you, you, you give me a good, in verse 13 or 15, you give me a good explanation about all this. I know that they need God's instruction through you. But if you don't do something about this, verse 17, you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear the people out. So what did he ask him to do? He said, here's what I want you to do, Moses. It's, if God blesses this or God honors this, you do it. You get, a, you get leaders over 1,000, you get leaders over 100, you get leaders over 50, you get leaders over 10, and give them some of the load. And take some, and in the problems that come about that only you can deal with, you handle it. But all the insignificant things that go on, let others help you. You say, well, what does all that mean? Well, I believe Moses had gotten to the point that he felt like he was the only one that could handle all that was going on, and he couldn't handle it. And so what he was, he was challenged to do by Jethro was to find some good, honest men that were trustworthy and women and to help them spread the load. I don't care what you're in charge of. If you think that you're going to build anything just on you, forget it. It will never work because you might go down in the middle of the fight. You might be like my mama, have something burst inside and you're gone. And so all that work you did, all that passion you had would dissipate if you don't have people in place to carry on. Now, what I want to share with you are four pillars that I think are significant, and I'm not going to camp on them. I'm just going to mention them and say a few things and move on. Of If we're going to minister like we need to in unity, number one, we're going to have to understand that every believer is a minister. Every believer is not a pastor. God didn't call all of you to pastor the church. He didn't call all of, all of you and give you the same vision that I have for the church. Even though for the last 25 years, four or five men have come out and have felt a calling to go in the pastorate, and some of them have served here with me. And, and to my knowledge, they're doing good. But every believer is a minister. Listen, God calls all believers to minister to the world and the church. And to be a Christian like Jesus, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Mark 10, 45. Service and giving are the defining characteristics of Christ-like lifestyle expected of every believer. Every Christian is created for ministry. He's saved for ministry. He's called for ministry. He's gifted. He's authorized and commanded to minister. Can I ask you, what is some of y'all's problem? Now, I'm not saying you're not ministering if you're ministering, but if you're not ministering, what's your problem? 
you're going to stand before Jesus on the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to have a given account of every idle word, every idle deed, and especially the things that you've been gifted spiritually for, you're going to be rewarded or demoted with your reward because of it. Second of all is the pillar that every ministry is important. There are no little people in the body of Christ. There are no insignificant ministries. There are not one ministry important than another. We're all collectively together. Thank God Jimmy has a passion for Honduras. If it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't have ever went. And some of you had never been. Is Jimmy perfect? No, no, I'm not either. We're going to make mistakes. Thank God Terry has a passion for music and a lot of people behind him. Thank God that there are people around here, all around who have passion to do different things. But we're not all called to, to be passionate, all of us, about the same thing. And there's nothing wrong that I'm not passionate about knitting a quilt. But I'm very passionate in the wintertime of getting under one. Y'all hear me? Listen, we're not in competition with one another. If we're fighting one another, we're fighting ourselves. You ain't fighting Jesus. You will lose. Remember, at the end of the book, go read it. If you hadn't, he's already won. <laughs> he's already victorious. King of kings, Lord of lords. Small ministries often make it a, a, a a, a difference in why it's true that some ministries are a bit more visible. It doesn't mean the ones that aren't visible are not important. By the way, I must confess that this morning, if you would have asked me before last week, I was thinking about this, I had no clue about what kind of chandelier was in our dining room. I've been in that house six years. My wife gets a little ill at me about that, but I, and I built the house, but I just don't pay attention sometimes to particulars. But what I have learned is that the most important light in my house is not in the dining room. What's the most important light in your house? I'll tell you what mine is. It's the night light in the bathroom that keeps me from stumping my toe or tripping over my dog when I head there. Now, some of you don't have that trouble of having to have a regular visit. But I do. I know that just blesses your heart, pee-picking heart. <laughs> but I won't tell you something. Some of you, that's not your light. Where your light is, is hidden. It's inside the refrigerator. When you decide at 12 or 1 o'clock you want a night snack, you know you ought not be having one. But when you open that refrigerator, what comes on? The light. So whether it's the lights of the sanctuary, the lights of the dining room, or the lights, the nightlife, or where's the refrigerator light? Those lights are all important. There's none insignificant. The third pillar is that we are dependent on each other. I won't tell you something. Y'all may never have learned this, but this band has learned it. The praise team is learning it. We are dependent on each other. Man, what they're learning, if they don't fall apart and blow up, 
is the same thing if everybody in this church would learn that, where your rightful place and where God has you, and you quit trying to judge everybody and just do your job. It'd be so sweet. I don't know about you, but I'm not a good puzzle put together. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you give me a box that says 5,000 pieces of puzzle, and I start hiding it. <laughs> but I love for someone that loves to do that and has a passion to do that, put it together. But you know what I always notice? I don't notice the beauty of the puzzle. I notice when one piece is missing. Woo! That just drives me crazy. And I haven't even put it together. Well, you see, that's the way when I look at the church and I see our weak areas and I see where we need help, it drives me crazy. But sometimes I can't get it figured out. And, and, and you all the same way. Fourthly, ministry is the expression of my shape. That didn't look too good, did it? Well, what does that mean? Listen, when God created animals, he created each of them with specific areas of expertise. Some animals run, some animals hop, some animals swim, some animals dig, some animals fly. But each animal has a particular role to play based on the way that they were shaped by God. Now listen to what he said to the psalmist. In Psalms 139, you made all the delicate and inner parts of my body, and you knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about it. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born, and listen to this, scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. That is cool. You want to know why you're doing what you're doing now, whether you're successful at it or not? Is not to me the necessarily the consideration. The fact of why you do what you do now is that God knew you were going to be doing that before you were ever born. God, pretty smart, ain't he? Let's get back to that shape. S, I'm going to spell it. Give you an acrostic. What does acrostic mean? The letters mean the word. S stands for spiritual gifts. You and I, according to the book of Corinthians and Ephesians, we have been given a spiritual gift. Some of you took the spiritual gift class on our last discipleship on Sunday night, and you discovered that you do have a spiritual gift. Well, let me just tell you, discovering it is not enough. You now must take that spiritual gift and find where you can best use it in the body of Christ, wherever that might be. And by the way, I can't dictate that for you. You have to pray that God shows you where that is, and you carry it out. H stands for heart. I'm going to tell you something. I've, I've been around guys that have doctorates of theology. And I've been around people that have had multiple uh, degrees in all the areas of ministry, but I've also seen them that all they cared about 
was anything other than seeing what Jesus said was important, and that is seeing people saved and then seeing people get discipled. Let me tell you something. When you don't have a passion, I'll take passion over education any day. Because you can learn things, how to work that God wants you to do in the ministry. But passion has to come from here. And I see a lot of people claiming, oh, I love Jesus, but they have no passion. And let me tell you something. Passion will drive you when all hell freezes over you. And when you lose your mama and everybody around you walks out, if you've got passion, you'll stay true to the task. You'll hold on to the plow and you won't look back. You'll keep going when ain't nobody there with you. Why? Because of heart. It ain't my heart. It's his heart. And he gave us a clean and a contrite and beautiful white as snow heart if he's in your heart and mine. Ooh, I didn't know all that was in A. P, personality. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, a test. Some of you will know the answer. Some of you won't. Both of my boys are on the stage pretty much for the most part every Sunday. Well, one of them, when I was 24 years old, and I went in the ministry, and I took my first church, is just like me. Don't you say it out loud because you'll hurt one of their feelings. Which one do you think it was? Which one do you think it is? You see, when I was 24 years old, remember, I was a carpenter by trade. I, 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 was, I did everything from roofing to, to sheetrock to framing houses to trimming houses. That's my favorite. And I did all that stuff. But I loved it because I could be by myself. I didn't have to put up with no people. And so, I can remember when Brother Hugh, Miss Mabel's husband, asked me to pray, and they wanted me to usher, and they asked me to pray, and I almost peed in my pants. <laughs> I was scared to death. Now, I just don't, y'all don't know sometimes why I don't come out here. I don't just that once. It's 30 times before I come out here. Because I'm like, I'm like a little puppy every Sunday. I wear the toilets out. So while I'm not praying, I'm peeing. So just, I can't help it. Because why? I'm nervous. I'm out of my element. Some of you think you, this is what you, I mean, this is your personality. No, it's not. For me to stand up here and do what I'm doing now, I was worse than Joe. Joe's coming out a little bit, but I was way back here withdrawn. Josh, on the other hand, he could sell a dead horse to a, a circus. He's a people person. I wish I had that inside. But, but you know what? You can become that. I am living proof that you don't, you can't use the excuse that it's not my personality to speak or pray or teach. I'm telling you, you can't use that if you're serious with God. Because I used it and it didn't work. E, experiences. Whether it's your education, vocation, spiritual maturity, whether it's the ministry God's put you in, whether it's some of the pain and suffering that you face, 
some of the, uh, I mean, you just don't know how it helped me to lose. Not that I wanted to lose them, Sheldon, by no means. But when we lost two little girls, when I was in Bethlehem pastoring that church, back to back, boom, boom, two deaths. I preached them both. But you know what? Now I can preach any funeral whatsoever of an infant that dies. And I don't back up. Why? Because I know I have experienced that. I didn't know how y'all felt about your daddy's dying, but I do now. Now, mama's is different. I was coming in this morning, bless God, I got to thinking about mama. And I cried from here all, and it's just been hitting me. I, 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 I can't control it. I pick up my phone during the day about the times that I normally call. I say, what am I doing? I'm losing my mind. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of things you'll never be able to know exactly what a person's going through until you experience it yourself. And, and I'm experiencing some of these. I'm getting up there old enough now where I do that. There's some things I don't want to experience. I thank Jesus. I said, Jesus, I don't want to experience this one. And I pray that nothing happened like that. I don't even confess them. Let me ask you something. If you are you not united, now this is what this means. If you're not doing exactly and you know exactly what God has you to do here at this church and you are not praying about it and you're not seeking after it and you're not pursuing it in your life and, and because God has you here for a reason and it's not my reason, it's his reason. I don't know what it is and you got to keep praying. But if you haven't found your niche, I don't care how big or how small, or it doesn't matter to me. You're not united with him. You are out with him. And he'll remind you that when you die. But if you're not united, there's only one thing to do, and that's to get it right. Now, you can get it right and repent that you didn't realize that God has called you and that you are a minister, you have been gifted, and you're supposed to be serving in his work. And you know what? All you got to do is say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm saved, and I know you, but you just forgive me. But don't come expecting me to know what your calling is. No more than you could know what mine was, because those are personal matters between you and God. And if you're here and you haven't joined in union with Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior with you, you need to do that today. If the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you're lost, that then is your invitation to be saved and come to know it. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed.